to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Episode 15, normally we start this off with Morton Tail, but it's not morning. We waited until the evening to accommodate somebody. I don't know who, but um, Tao, how are you doing, man? Fantastic. This, you know, another beautiful, hot day in Atlanta, hot Atlanta, uh, you know, out here sweating my head off. So, you know, fantastic. Yeah. How are it you? Was, it was humid here, man. I mean, as you could see, you know, sun's out, guns out. Well, um, you know, I was. We got it. So we got to talk about your tank top at some point in time. I, I think it's going to be <laughs> super interesting. So like, I, if people haven't been watching the YouTube channel or watching the video, they have to watch this now because you have to see John's tank top. And honestly, I think that's actually the first time I've seen your full like tattoo sleeping. Yeah, like, I got, I got a little bit good. going on. Look, a little bit. See what happens when you go on vacation. That's uh, a whole new you. It's it's a workcation, but not not work. I'm a demo in the kitchen. Uh, did did the laundry room earlier, but it's you know need to be done. Um, happy wife, happy life. Not mad and at it, you, brother. It's been three years. Three years. Hey, this kitchen needs to be a priority, and now we're prioritizing it. And uh, I'm exhausted. Man, you've been putting in work. I saw the pictures. That's yeah. uh, you're better than me because I'd be like, Oh man, these contractors are horrible. Um, <laughs> I'm like, who can we get to do this kitchen for us? Like, but no, that's awesome, man. Three years into it, I can't wait to see what it looks like. The uh, awesome. yeah, I'm, I'm excited and Misty's excited too. So it's gonna be it's gonna be good when it's all said and done. Uh, but yeah, we did accommodate, and uh, I'll let you go ahead and introduce our guest today. I'm stoked. I, this is, uh, it, I'm honored to have a good friend, someone I consider my brother, a mentor, um, someone I've learned so much about this industry and just uh, enjoy it, life lessons with uh, my good friend, uh, my brother, Cliff Johnson. Ah, thank Cliff, you, Mateo. They're <laughs> so happy to have you. Uh, you know, for those of you who I'm not going to say for those of you who don't know, most people, you know who Cliff Johnson is now at what stage, you know, Cliff Johnson might be a different story, but uh, Cliff Johnson, the co-founder of Vacasa, uh, the, you know, mind behind the brilliant products of uh, that rented is put out around their uh, wonderful uh, revenue management tools. Uh, and the most recent uh, addition to the realtor.com family. Uh, who's doing some pretty exciting things. So I don't want to steal his thunder. I'm going to let him uh, kind of talk about where he is now, what he's doing. Um, and, you know, because I, I don't I know you, John, also got the, oh, is Cliff's leaving the industry? He's going to realtor? Uh, so, you know, the best thing that we can do to kill all that noise is let Cliff tell the story for himself. <laughs> thanks so, for joining us, man. Thanks for, ha- thanks for coming on, Cliff. Yeah, miss thank- you, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And Mateo, you know uh, how much I have a hard time with compliments, but thanks for all those. And uh, definitely right back at you. I've learned a ton from you and uh, and continue to all the time. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's there's so many uh, fun things happening in the vacation rental world. And um, I had this uh, really interesting opportunity, you know, 
thanks thanks to like co-founding Vacasa and launching that and growing that, I've been fortunate to get a lot of opportunities come through over the years, and and I. I never had one tempting enough to uh, leave the vacation rental world that I love, but uh, this was a really unique one where um, I get to really run a startup within a really large company with great resources and talent in realtor.com. And so I'm uh, really uh, working with a a great team to build um, the new construction side of the business from the ground up. And so what that means is really we're working with builders all over the country and um, working on improving the builder experience, how to get their listings onto realtor.com, but then also working on the consumer side. And so it's an area that's kind of a scary thing for a lot of consumers to think about buying a new home. Um, For whatever reason, it's just less common that people think they can afford it or even understand the process for buying a new home versus buying an existing home. And so it's something that I've been uh, diving deep in, you know, uh, over the past month and and learning a ton. And and there's so many parallels between uh, vacation rental management and builders. Uh, There's uh, this deep local expertise uh, that builders have about their markets, about their communities they work in. Uh, The same is true on the vacation rental manager side. And I think the areas where I'm going to be able to really help them are similar to, you know, what we were able to do in vacation rentals, where it's looking at a tech stack, you know, what are they doing now? How can we help improve that? Looking at the data, like what kind of data do they need to make better decisions and and those are those are things that you know. Right now, I'm definitely soaking up as much knowledge as I can, learning on that side. But um, looking forward to help delivering more of those solutions and and really uh, bringing it into uh, bringing the two areas. You know, this new area that I'm learning, um, bringing along the vacation rental side and thinking about how to integrate vacation rentals onto some of these uh, large real estate platforms. And Realtor yeah. is uh, Realtor.com is a original, you know, started in 1996, has always partnered closely with brokers and agents. And, and uh, that connection is still deeply there. And so looking at, you know, how do we work with, with all sorts of partners to just deliver a better consumer experience? And one of the things that really resonated with me, I got to meet uh, the CEO, David Doctorow, early on in my interview process, and he's just very purpose-driven leader and like sees uh, the realtor.com platform as an opportunity to help people find their first home in an easier uh, way that's less painful, less scary. You know, how do they get their mortgage? How do they qualify for a mortgage? How do we make sure that people can move from uh, becoming a renter to a, a homeowner in a seamless process? And, and as part of that, we're very committed to fair housing specifically. So looking at like, how do we... Uh, make sure that people have fair access to housing. And so there's a lot of really fun and exciting things going on. And I hope to come back maybe six months, a year from now and talk about some of the cool things we've done. But uh, a lot of those are in the works right now. Yeah, for sure. Tell, tell me, Cliff, the uh, right now, so you're in realtor.com. You have, uh, obviously, there's some big competitors out there. Are those competitors that, that you are, you know, realtor.com is the original but there's Zillow and all these other ones that are out there. Are they doing similar things to what, you know, you're you're coming in in this builder startup for realtor.com are Zillow and some of the other competitors in a doing similar things or are they going to, um, so you're, are you still in direct competition? Or are you like uh, pioneering this ahead of them? 
Yeah, there. Um, so Zillow and BDX are our two biggest competitors. And um, the interesting thing is that BDX is owned by a consortium of builders and was a longtime partner of Realtor.com. And uh, that relationship just ended in February of this year. So there is, you know, that's a very different part uh, competitor um, than Zillow, where Zillow is more directly competitive with Realtor.com kind of across the board. Like one big difference right now is that they're in the iBuying space and we are not. And so that's something that is a positive for most of our partners is that we're not competing on that side, you know. Mm. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of things that we look at, you know, as this landscape continues to unfold. There's so many opportunities. Uh, real estate just touches so many areas. And so if you look at the potential for us to grow rentals or grow the mortgage side and all these different areas that are so integrated with uh, real estate buying and selling, I think there's a lot of room to improve across the board. And so this is, I think, whoever delivers the best consumer experience for buyers, sellers, uh, tenants, landlords, I mean, all the categories, in my case, builders and, and home buyers and, and agents and brokers that work with them. I think it, it, a lot of it comes down to consumer experience. And if you look at where companies have made gains over the last 10, 15 years in real estate, it's been delivering a better experience, a simpler experience, you know, uh, with a more positive outcome. So yeah, definitely Zillow is our biggest competitor, but I would say there's not, um, it's not one-to-one on everything. We're, we're offering different uh, ways right. to get there for uh, buyers, for sure. Sounds exciting, man. I mean, it uh, really does. Uh, it sounds like it's uh, almost like a blank slate to be able to kind of really map a new way of working out, you know, because a, a, a way of working, getting people into homes, because I mean, it's a huge issue, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, you you think even within our lifetimes, like, you know, we work within the vacation rental industry. So we're we're always around, you know, properties that are, you know, people's second or third properties or, you know, depending on who they are, they got dozens or hundreds. But, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of like housing in this country and in that conversation, we're smack dab in the middle of it from the SDR space, right? Like, and, and having to have this conversation, especially particularly in urban areas, you know, how do these two worlds live together, right? Like how do places like, you know, Atlanta, for, for instance, that, you know, used to be relatively affordable, but is very much so not that way anymore. Um, and, you know, even, you know, selling starter homes, right? People, you know, are, are really coming in and, you know, you have flippers, you got all kinds of people that are competing with, you know, these first time home buyers who are coming into the market at its most expensive time in our most, you know, in our recent history. So I, it's a hell of a problem to, to look at and solve. I'm, I'm excited to know that like minds like Cliff and, and other people are thinking of new and, and you know, tech driven ways to make sure that this, uh, this is a, a reality for people here in this country because that's a huge thing. You know, um, people's first home is a huge thing. Um, and I think we take that a little bit for granted because we're so used to, you know, working on the business side of vacation rentals and STRs that I think sometimes that does get overlooked. Um, but I'm excited to see what you do because I think there is lots of room um, for marriage. I think there's also room to, you know, work together to solve this problem together. Um, and I hope that everything from the regulatory issues to like, hey, how do we make this more equitable for people uh, is something that you're really able to do. So I know we're not losing you, but I, I think it's a, a, a great opportunity. We're excited and we'll definitely have you back on to hear how things are going. So 
Yeah. And on that note, I am staying on as a board member at Rented. And so we'll continue to work with Andrew and the team to um, advance the strategic direction of the company. And so that's something that it was funny at first when the the news, Amy uh, published the article, everybody's like, oh, we're going to miss you. And uh, I think uh, I think it was Amy that said, "Oh, it doesn't it, does it feel like almost like you passed away or something." No, the way you're getting it. It's like, yeah, it's like it does kind of yeah. feel like that. And and I didn't actually leave. Like I'm still on the VRMA board. I'm still on the rented board. I'm still I'm going to be working in the industry, just not in a full time capacity. And so um, it's something that um, I, I think that the knowledge I'm gaining at Realtor.com is only going to enhance my ability to help the industry. And especially when it comes to the regulatory side and like having a different lens on affordable housing, which is an issue that's like very near and dear to me. Um, probably not everybody knows this. I'm going to tell you, you know it quite well, but I, I mean, I grew up a lower middle-class family, like definitely figuring out things month to month, you know, and, uh, I didn't own a home until I was 32. Um, so I'd never had the means to be able to do it. I lived in places where it was completely unaffordable. I lived in Boston. I lived in, um, Denver, which, uh, actually seems like it was really cheap looking back on it and I should have bought a home there, but I couldn't, you know? And then, uh, then as I went to like San Francisco and and then even in Portland, it took me a while and Portland became a really hot market. So it was like ahead of the curve for a bit. So, I mean, I feel the pain of people that are feeling like they can't get that first property or even like find an affordable rental, and in our industry, I think, you know, we see the other side of that, which is we we depend on a lot of really great team members, uh, particularly housekeepers, um, to work in the markets and, and to take care of these homes that people would enjoy. And we've got to think about their quality of life. And are we providing a living wage? Are we providing adequate housing? And what are we doing for that? I think on the regulatory front, there's just often a mismatch uh, with the understanding of regulators that oh, it's the vacation rentals that are taking affordable housing up. When in reality, a lot of these homes are, you know, 500K or above at a minimum in most of these markets. And just removing that from the market alone doesn't solve the problem. A lot of it is like, is there the adequate housing stock in the market and accessibility to that housing stock? It's inventory. It's it's terrible. It's it's taking these, it's taking these homes, you know, another side of it is taking these homes that are affordable and then throwing a bunch of bunch of money into it, and now you know that one hundred fifty thousand dollar home is now a four hundred thousand dollar home, just like that. Um, and you know, or the the just you know neighborhoods changing from you know once being affordable the gentrification, and now it's a whole different neighborhood. And you know, just two years ago it was you know it was affordable. I mean, it's a it's a huge issue. Um, and we're seeing it all over on both sides. Um, I'm lucky enough to, this is, I was thinking about it while you're talking, this is our fourth or fifth home we've owned. Um, but I, I, you know, I grew up also, you know, lower you know, middle-class. Um, and then when I got and then I joined the army and then I, I used like a little bit of savings and bought the, I bought a $30,000 home, um, you know, is when we got out of the out of the army and that's how we got started. And we, we flipped it. We made 15,000 and then we bought a little bit bigger home. And then every time we we've made smart decisions and, you know, um, and now we're in a pretty nice home, but it took a while, um, yeah. you know, but our first home, you know, we bought, I think it was 20, 24, um, but it was only 
30,000. Yeah. Yeah. And where you live as well. Like I grew up in rural Missouri and had I stayed there, I, I would have probably started building equity sooner, even right. though like my uh, income potential would have topped out uh, pretty quickly. Like there, the opportunities and jobs weren't there. And, you know, and then uh, moving to Boston, I quickly was well, every home was well beyond my price range as right. soon as I moved to Boston, <laughs> you know, but I think your story is actually a really interesting one in that uh, I think getting more people to get that first home uh, at uh, in their early 20s or something starts to build wealth. And I think, uh, especially if you see that people come from a household where the household has rented, they haven't had the opportunity to build wealth. And then they, they also haven't had the experience of home ownership. So that makes it harder for that next generation to buy their first home, especially as homes become less and less affordable. So I, I think there's such an opportunity, whether it's like down payment assistance or looking at creative modeling on, on the uh, mortgages, that's not like uh, what we saw, you know, that uh, prior before the, to- Before the burst. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important. Like realtor.com just released a, uh, a tool for prospective buyers to figure out their affordability range, like where they should be looking. And there's a lot of these calculators, but I think there, a lot of them are predispositioned to tell you, you can afford something that you can't, you know, yeah. and this one is, it's a really interesting design. Like if you walk through it, uh, cause I, I walked through the exercise just to see, and I think uh, outcome where it says, you know, uh, you should probably look at a house that's a little less expensive so that you're able to comfortably afford it, that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, which I think we're always getting upsold, right? And like, right. we're used to being like, oh, you should buy the more expensive thing. That's what you really want. And I think that if that happens, it puts people in a bad position, then, you know, in many cases they can't uh, recover from that. So it's, it's that predatory lending that, you know, used to be de- definitely way more prevalent than it is today. And it's still out there. You know, I, I know that when we bought our first home at 30 grand, um, you know, we were told we can afford like a, you know, hundred thousand dollar home. There's no way in hell I could afford a hundred thousand dollar <laughs> home at getting out of the military. And, you know, I'm like, my wife has been always like really uh, frugal, um, which has helped, um, you know, cause I would have been like, sure, hundred thousand dollar home. And then, you know, but I wouldn't be here today, you know, uh, but speaking of, uh, where we are today, let, let's talk about your journey a little bit and talk about, you know, the elephant in the room being, um, that something that you co-founded, um, just, you know, just announced it's going public for an unreal amount of money. Um, let, let's talk about that. Talk about, you know, I, 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 we were reading and we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, we were, we had Will Slickers on and we were talking about, um, this coming out when we, we mentioned the posts that you made and you, and you were thanking everybody, uh, you know, and, you, and then you had to stop because you missed, a, you know, because, you know, LinkedIn only allowed, allowed you to thank so many people. Um, but talk about, you know, that, the, the sale of this and what, what you, your evaluation of it, but then also let's kind of, let's talk about, you know, the, the, your humble beginnings and, and why you think it's gotten to where it is today. Yeah, no, it's been, it was a really interesting journey. And, you know, I'm now um, three and a half years removed from Vacasa um, as far as day to day. But I think when you invest so much of yourself in something that you're always going to have attachment to it, you know, 
And I, I can't imagine like in my wildest view of what Vacasa would have been. And I'm a pretty like optimistic person who tends to shoot for the stars as much as I can. I, I generally have nothing to lose. Right. So, um, but my view of what that meant at Vacasa was never about going public. You know, my view of that was uh, like the thing that always made me happy was making, uh, creating great opportunities for employees, uh, making guests happy. And I was very connected to uh, the stories of those guests because I think that's something that we don't spend enough time on, like in this uh, vacation rental community in general. I hear uh, people complain about guests a lot, but one, um, they're not a commodity. Like sometimes I hear they're treated as a commodity and every guest has their story. And I think like people saw that more in the last year and a half than they paid attention to it before then, you know? And then the other piece was the homeowners. Like the homeowners all just have these great stories. So in the early days of Vacasa, it was just Eric and I, and there was actually a third co-founder, Nick Tostenrud, who has, has never <laughs> mentioned anything, but he was only with us a few months. He's a good friend of mine and uh, works for Amazon um, and has had a lot of success in his own career, you know? Um, but it was a really good combination of skills, I would say, uh, the three of us and tenacious work ethic. And like, that's the one thing I'll always say about Eric is that, um, we didn't have to motivate each other. We were both like intrinsically motivated. We both came from pretty humble backgrounds and like had a bit of a chip on our shoulder, but not really sure who we were trying to prove <laughs> wrong, but more so just like. Uh, motivated to work hard and build something great, you know? And uh, I would say also the thing that worked really well is that we would recognize our failures and learn and move on really quickly, um, especially when it was the two of us. And I've seen that more and more as uh, I've been involved in larger organizations is you lose some of that velocity as you bring more people in, especially if you have um, people that are afraid to fail. Because you're going to like with any startup, you're going to fail a lot. Um, and it's just making sure that you don't keep beating your head against the wall and like figuring out like what didn't work. And I, the example that's really tangible that I'll give is that we launched the company as two products. So we launched it as a booking and marketing service where we would take listings and then um, market those across the channels. And But we had no control over the experience. So that was a big problem. Um, we launched the full service side as well, but you can imagine like when we started the company and we had one 400 square foot home on the wrong side of the highway, that was Eric's wife's family's home in Long Beach, Washington, that, that, that home alone did not drive a lot of confidence in our ability to go manage million dollar homes, right. you know? So it was about us like selling ourselves and then getting people to trust us. At that point, there were no e-locks. So it was handing over their keys to their home and trusting that, you know, then 28 year old me was going to take care of it, you know? And it, it was a really interesting uh, time where I've got, I've gotten so much flack for being an attorney over my life. But at that time period, it was really helpful because there was a level of trust that, well, at least he's passed two uh, bar exams. Right. Hey, trust me, I'm an attorney. Because <laughs> that's yeah. what people say, right? Yeah. yeah. That. And I will say they appreciated, Eric and I did a ton of work on people's homes in the early days, yeah. similar to the work you're doing now, John, where we were renovating homes, bringing them up to code so they could pass and get a permit. And we were very hands-on. 
And so people really appreciated that. It got us some really good inventory in the early days. Those owners became advocates and referred properties. We also had a really, uh, you know, great aggressive strategy on direct mail that was fairly novel at the time. Like a lot of the owners we were reaching out to were not getting that. And so we we did a lot of things right, but mostly I would say the thing I'm most proud about is that our review scores were incredible. Our owners were really happy. We had no attrition on homeowners. Like we were having no turnover on that side. In fact, I still remember the first owner that we lost and it was uh, a relief. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I was still like, I didn't like having that blemish, but then it was also kind of a nice lesson and okay, we're going to have to start to have higher standards now because at this point, you it's know, okay. We, it's okay to fire homeowners. Yeah. Well, that's when you know you've made it, right? Like at that point, when yeah. you're in a position to be able to do that, you're doing something right from a business standpoint, right? Like, oh, definitely. But I mean, we were we were running and we were scaling. So you know, we the, the depending on when people came into the industry or anything, they may not realize that we were bootstrapped for the first uh, six years of the company. So like we were just growing really fast, using all of our profits to um, push back into growth. Right. And I felt that that gave us a really lean mindset, but also we we really valued the team that was willing to take that ride with us. And I, you know, that, that's my, uh, I would say the biggest challenge I have with Vacasa is I feel like we, we lost some of that culture as we started taking outside funding. And then, um, as soon as you take that outside funding, like you have stakeholders where their primary concern is how do we optimize margins, et cetera, you know? Um, but I, I think the interesting thing, looking back on it was that we we had to work with what we had in those early years early years so i think we we uh, definitely optimized uh, performance quite well on that but there's also like breaking points like at scale and i talk a lot about like um you know getting to 20 properties then you kind of have a real business and it's not properties i like as i've gotten longer to the industry or whatever like it's really about revenue. So, I mean, you could have five homes that are doing a hundred thousand, or you could have 20 homes that are doing a hundred thousand. Like it's easier to have the five, you know, like 20 homes that are doing a hundred thousand. You're probably like going nuts trying to service like really low dollar reservations. And there's a need for that, but it's a very difficult way to earn a living, you know? And uh, so, I mean, really kind of getting to those different tiers where, you know, there's an operational structure that works with that but there was no blueprint for 30,000 or more in homes, you know? And so as you're recreating a blueprint for doubling in size every year, um, getting it all right is not going to happen. So the, the keeping that speed was such an important part of our growth and, and recognizing when things were going off the rails and being willing to pause. Like if we had a market where the review scores were really low, um, not putting more fuel on that fire was really important. Because you can, you know, as we grew as well, like burning, uh, having one bad guest experience with eight guests in a house means that those eight guests uh, are probably never going to want to stay with us again. And so, mm-hmm. and how many of those eight guests may have owned a vacation home? So then they don't want to rent their home through us, et cetera. Right. So like the, our scope was not limited to just the people traveling to one market or anything, you know? Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting too. Like in in Cliff, I've got to hear some of these amazing stories about you driving all over the Pacific Northwest, and 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 it's it, it's it, a good and, life. And you, it was a lot and of you fun. hear these, but it, but it's interesting because you hear these stories, and then you meet some of the people. It's like, oh yeah, I remember Cliff and this guy, and they gave us a hot tub, and it's like this whole story about you know how this industry has changed. I think you know someone's going to have to write a book or make a movie documentary on like the Picasso story because when you look at how it started and you look at when it started, and you look at what you were able to build, you didn't build something cookie cutter. You didn't say, we're just coming into the vacation rental industry and you know we're gonna build the largest vacation rental management company in the US, in the world, or whatever. You guys said, we're gonna do it differently. And, and hey, you know, bringing a, a, a new perspective, smart approach to business that also you know, took care of people, both internally and externally, outside of and outside of the organization, because you can talk to anyone who's been surrounded uh, or been a part of the Vacasa story, and they will tell you it was different. Um, the the people, it was a different experience. The culture was a different experience. In the in the earlier days, you know, talk about what that was like, like coming because you didn't have a background in vacation rentals when you were you were coming into this, right? And so you actually, you know, I, I would love to hear like. What, what was that like in terms of building the vision for what you were building and, and how you were doing it differently, um, you know, with people in mind in a business that's really centered around profit and revenue? Yeah, I think that's one of the like common things that people don't know about Vacasa is it really was born more out of a guest experience issue than an owner experience issue. And I mean, it's just all, you know, definitely give the majority of the credit to Eric on this, but like, because uh, I could never afford to stay in vacation rentals. So like I wasn't, you know, at that point in my life, my experience staying in vacation rentals was quite nominal. But uh, Eric, uh, you know, and we, a lot of the conversations we had early days was like, at that time, like you couldn't get a confirmed booking. You would like almost like beg someone to stay in their house. And then they would send you back like uh, the, an enormous contract of like 27 pages, uh, signing your life away to go stay in that house. And then you got to wire them money or something sketchy and all this. So the guest experience was really atrocious on the booking side. And even on the stay side, I would say it was wildly inconsistent, so much more so than now. Like in a lot of markets, it was standard for you to bring your own sheets and stuff like that, which is just absurd, you know? So like we were so far off, like as an industry in some ways and not everywhere, there were a lot of managers that have been doing this right for a really long time. So I don't want to give the perception that it was completely broken, but I would say there's a lot of opportunity, especially in the owner managed side. Um, So about like, you know, about a third of our inventory would come on from people who were managing on their own. About a third would be other professional managers, usually on the lower half in terms of the quality of their service, you know, and then we brought in a lot of new inventory because we we were able to gain the trust of people who otherwise just for whatever reason didn't trust the options that were out there you know and uh, but yeah those early days it was so much about what happened on the ground and those relationships and I would say you know for me I like the thing that I think helped me the most was having just a high degree of empathy I was thinking about, like what it's like to be a contractor maintenance person in these markets and how they probably are dealing with a lot of wealthy people that don't really pay them very fast or call them and want them to go fix toilets at midnight all the time and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so like having that degree of empathy and trying to um, 
like pay people fast, take really good care of people. And I would clean alongside my housekeepers or if there was like a guest that was being a jerk to one of my housekeepers, I would take that off of their plate. And so would my team, like as we built that out. And so just creating a culture of support, I think was really critical. And then paying fair value. Like we early, we had a $12 an hour company minimum wage back in 2009 when a lot of people in business were taking advantage of uh, the recession and the fact that there was a lot more labor available than there were jobs at that time. We tried to take the opposite approach and did like 401k match from the beginning, added benefits as fast as we could on top of that and tried to keep pay um, really competitive. Now, in some cases, like we had to do, help people do math as well, because it was like they were used to getting paid cash or something like that. And so right. they didn't want to switch to become W-2 employees. And so, you know, we had to do a lot of, lot of work and like some people had established companies. So we had to be very flexible. And like I ended up kind of using a phrase over and over at Vacasa where we had like standardized flexibility. So like we would have our standards of how we wanted to do things. But then when somebody didn't want to do that, and they were a valuable team member or a valuable person to have on there, we would consider the why and, and like make an adjustment and then make that part of our menu of options that we would work with. So like on contractor side, for example, you could be a contractor, but you have to be a legitimate contractor. We're not just going to let you be an unlicensed like right. person getting paid cash again. You know, so it was, uh, and that was probably my legal side too. But we tried to do things by the book from the beginning, and on the regulatory front as well, like whether we needed to be a licensed broker in the state or not, uh, whether uh, what the process was for getting vacation rentals license. And one of my favorite things on that front was that I became. Uh, friends with the Tillamook County uh, permit inspector. And so she was so happy that we actually followed the rules and would get the permits that she would, people would come in and like fail for the third time. She's like, you should really just work with us. I'll <laughs> 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 just get it done for you, you know, and you'll stop failing your inspection or whatever. But it's awesome. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Cliff, I got, I got two questions for you and I, I'm hoping to get some unique answers um, yeah. that not every podcast is asking. Now, number one question is going, looking back and coming from that, you know, lower middle-class, middle-class family, when do you, when did you know that, holy shit, I made it, <laughs> we made it. Like when, when was that? Like, and you know, there was that aha moment when you're like, fuck yeah. It, it happened. I, I felt it was like a, I always felt it was a greater responsibility, I would say. And like, so for me personally, um, you know, I, there was a level of comfort probably was 2013 when I was able to buy a house. Like that was a, mm -hmm. a pretty uh, distinct moment because I, I did not make very much money up until that point. Um, even then I still wasn't making that much. <laughs> right. Like I abandoned a law career, which was pretty like clear, like how much I was going to make and right. what stages I would make more and all that. Uh, but it was, uh, it wasn't fulfilling for me. Right. So I knew I didn't want to keep doing that. If I was going to stay in law, I was going to start my own law firm. And that, that was going to be a challenge too. You know, you start from the ground up there. Um, but yeah, I would say right around that point was, was when I, uh, felt that, you know, we had something special on our hands, but it also started to feel like, um, I mean, there, there is a time period, like I would say, like after we took outside investment, where it started to feel like our ability to keep that culture alive and 
was slipping and, and it was something I kept trying to, to work with, you know, and even the last two years I was there, I, I launched and grew the international side of the business and, and had that feeling again. And it was really awesome. We had a really great team and like had people from 16 different countries that just really bonded really closely. And we had to operate differently in each area because of the local nuances and all that. And so, I, I mean, I never in my you know, like wildest dreams, like we never traveled growing up. We didn't have the money to do it. So like, I never imagined I would be flying and launching companies and like in other countries, you know? Right. Um, so, it, I, and I, I think those last two plus two years for me, like saw the opportunity, like I, like I always, the areas I always get sentimental are like on the housekeeper stories where like maybe somebody was struggling to make it and we were able to give them that lifeline, you know? And uh, those were really cool, powerful stories. Internationally, it was a different level. Like we would have housekeepers that were um, like homeless when we started working with them and their whole family was, and the little bit of money they were making doing whatever they were was going to take care of like the people in their family where there's no right. social safety net. Places like Nicaragua, for example, is like where this was. And uh, we were able to like change that within a month, like to get somebody, you know, and it's just the dollar goes a lot further. And you look at these places where the juxtaposition between what someone's paying to stay in a fancy house versus what someone makes in a lifetime is just insane, you know? And so I still very strongly believe that uh, vacation rentals and travel, like more generally, can be a vehicle for positive change in these cultures, as long as it's led from that culture, like not forced upon them. And so I'm working in Uganda. I have a management company over there uh, that I have a a local manager uh, that lives in Kampala and she's amazing, Michelle. Uh, Right now, everything is still shut down in Uganda. Like there's, I mean, there locally things are happening, right? But nobody's traveling there. Like the tourism market has dropped out completely since the beginning of COVID. And it's, it's, uh, there's a big gap where those tourism dollars used to be, but those tourism dollars also were not really flowing through to everyone in a way that was equitable, you know? And so I think, um, you know, looking for ways to make sure that our industry is a positive force for change in these communities and not just internationally, but also looking at like, what are the biggest challenges in the communities that we work in for the local citizens there? How do we help them? So, so it's not just about what we can extract from that area. Um, or right. how, how can we give back? Yeah. And so that was always at the core of what we did early days in Vacasa. And I feel like it's really hard to maintain that when a company grows. So that's something I always push for. And there's a lot of uh, friends I have that still work there. And I'm always kind of planting seeds. <laughs> <laughs> that- but those, but those seeds are infectious though. Like, let's be very clear. Cliff said, like, I'm planting seeds. Like, but th- those seeds go deep and grow strong roots. And, I, and it, I, I think you both can appreciate it because I actually look at you both the same in this space, right? Where you see your values come through your actions, right? Like your values turn into verbs. And, you know, you look at last year, what happened, you know, with the industry and who was the most, who was the heavily, you know, the most affected, you know, heavily through the, the pandemic was the housekeepers. Cliff and, and a group of others got together and, and put together an amazing event and, and campaign to help them out immediately. Like that's 
that's not just saying, oh, this is this is nice to do and this is great and we care about these people, but that's actually, you know, being able to put that into action and, and knowing that you can actually do something to change these people's lives, even little things. Um, and so like, and John, you do the same thing with the art projects and the food projects, like I, both of you, you know, I think we all gel, gel really well because we believe in the actions of what we're supposed to do, not just what we talk about. Um, and so like, that's, that's why I love you both. So by the way, but you know, and you know, being able to work with Cliff and actually see that in action and see those people. Like I used to, like when I came into the industry, it, at Vacasa was, you know, already rolling and running and, you know, you would hear, oh, Vacasa's gobbling up all these companies everywhere. And so when Cliff came to rent it, like I remember one of our first calls together was like somewhere in Southern California. And we were talking to this guy about his properties in like Newport or something like that. And literally like 15 minutes into the call, he's like, so Vacasa's uh, still buying, buying property management companies? We're trying to get out of this business. And Cliff, I know you're, uh, this is what you do. And you're just like, <laughs> you're just like, this is what it turns into. And so, you know, spending time with Clip and hearing the humble beginnings and seeing, you know, how the companies just grow and scale. Like, it's fascinating, right, to see what these organisms and organizations become, right, um, versus what they started. But I think one of the things, Clip, and you know, I would say this, is you, you know, you have been gone for a couple of years, but your, your DNA and, and fingerprints are all over that organization. Just talk to anyone from Picasso. Seriously. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, and this is like at this stage in my career, I'm like very interested in paying it forward. I feel like she's very fortunate as well. I mean, a lot of people work really hard, right? But it's, there's also a lot of luck involved and like be in the right place, right time with the right group of people. And um, I think that I'm particularly interested now in spending my time with people that, um, like two things, like one, there's a social purpose, a greater purpose behind what they're doing. Like in that it's, they're not just doing something so they can make a bunch of money. That's not inspiring me. I, I have limited time. I'm rather spend my time with my kids than trying to help somebody else make more money just to make money. Right. And yeah. so there's that. The other is like instilling confidence in people that don't think that they could be entrepreneurs because I think some of the best entrepreneurs are really humble and like have a hard time believing that they can run a company. Like, in fact, I saw that a lot at Vacasa where we would have just superstar performers that had a big dream, but were afraid to pursue it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so whether that's like anywhere I stop, you know, and work for a company, I'm always like more interested in helping support that individual become the best version of themselves, like whatever that means to them, as opposed to um, just preaching loyalty to the company. I think, you know, obviously you want people to be like, I don't want people to feign uh, agreement or interest in what they're doing. I want them to truly be passionate about it. And if there's not, I want to figure out what it is. Like the, the test I used to have with our local ops teams at Picasso is like, do you feel comfortable wearing your t-shirt around town or do you feel ashamed? <laughs> and if you feel ashamed, we need to fix that. Like yeah. you, you shouldn't feel like we're doing something in your community that's embarrassing to you, you know? And that's a very minimal standard, right? But yeah. I, I loved when we could get to that point of pride where they felt like, oh, they, they wanted to, to promote it. And like, we're really excited about what we were doing and felt like we were helping their community. You know, that's a great, 
That's a great just way to look at it too. And, and it's, it's interesting because coming from going into a community, you know, and, and slinging whatever I've been slinging uh, in this space, you know, and I go into like, you know, any community and, um, you know, and you see the Vacasas and the turnkeys, which now are the same company. Um, and, and you'd be like, and then the local managers are like, oh, those are who were, you know, the, like the more local homegrown, you know, management companies are, oh yeah, we're up against the Vacasas and the turnkeys, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see where like, are you embarrassed to be wearing this t-shirt or this, you know, the, this polo with a, you know, our logo on it and see, I could, I think that's a great, ex- you know, simplistic example for sure. Yeah, but you have to have the the environment where they feel comfortable saying that they are, right? Right. And so, I mean, that's relationships. It, that's where, like, for me, even my interview style with people, if I don't get to a point where we have, like, some type of personal connection, I haven't done my job well because they don't trust me enough, you know? And it's sometimes hard to do that in 30 minutes or if you're limiting interviews to that time. Right. And I was famous for going along on interviews at the Casa <laughs> and, like, hogging conference rooms. Because I, you know, I, I feel like that's a very important person time and, and opportunity in that person's life. And I want to give them the time of day to have that opportunity. And I saw a lot in my career. It was like, people are nervous at first, you know, yeah. like they, and you don't always get the real person good or bad. Like right. the, the best salespeople can fool you into thinking that they're going to be great to work with. <laughs> you yeah. know? But then like, if you don't get to the real thing, you know, and like a clue that I'll put out there, like if anybody interviews with me, if you start trashing your former employer, that's generally not a good thing. You right. know, it's like, cause it speaks a lot about like, Oh, this thing happened to me as opposed to like, you know, here's, here's how I ever came like some challenges or something like Cause I always look at it as, you know, you can complain about something, but it's either so bad that you should get out of that situation or it's something that you should try to positively affect in the other direction. And I, I can't help it, but I'm always trying to do the latter because I'm like, Oh, if it's, I can't just be comfortable knowing this thing is existing in a way that just doesn't sit with, right with me. You know? <laughs> um, That's interesting though. Cause it, and, and it goes back to something I heard you say earlier, which I think is also interesting about corporate culture. In, well, just culture in the workplace, right. And being able to have failure as a positive, right. And, and to, you know, look at failure as a, a valued part of culture. Cause I think all of these things kind of go together, right? Like, you know, the people it's like dating in the interview, right? Like everyone puts their best face on and tells everybody what they think they want to hear, regardless of how nervous they are. Uh, you know, and that rolls into the culture, right? Everyone's always trying to put their best foot forward at the expense of kind of, Hey, well, where's the real candor here? Like, where's the, this didn't go well. Like, and do you have, you know, a community or a culture in your organization to where people can be honest? Um, and and, to call out your uh, podcast, like, how do you get to the no BS? I think it's, there's not one way to do that. Right. Like it's different for every person. Right. Absolutely. Right. And, and that's why yeah. and that that goes to, you know, and I work for, you know, everyone knows I work for Travelnet and, and I and I sell track software and, you know, they allow me to be me and they have no problems with me doing this no bullshit short-term rental podcast. And I can, like, I have a really, 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 really long leash and, <laughs> and there's a trust in there, you know, that's, you know, that's been established and they know that I'm, I'm always putting my best foot forward. And, and I know that, you know, this, this it's reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's, 
can't, I couldn't be happier uh, to be able to, there isn't a lot of companies that I could work for that would be like, yeah, sure. Do whatever you want. <laughs> and have whoever you Cause I, I'm sure that is really valuable to you yeah. and it really costs them nothing like right. to let you be yourself, you know? I mean, there's of course some risk, right. But it's like, I don't know, as an attorney, like it's weird. You would think I'd be more risk adverse, but to me, it's like, there's risk in almost everything you do. So you could just not do anything ever. And that's one good way to remove all right. risk from your life. Or you could just start it'd be smart about it and like yeah. hire the people who you trust, build relationships with your trust. Like if you have people out there that want to do damage to your company, you're probably not either hiring the right people or treating them well, you know? Right. So it's like be self-reflective as opposed to accusatory. <laughs> it's kind of always my approach. I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I asked, I had two questions and I got to one of them. And the second <laughs> one, no, you're fine. That's fine. It, it, that, that's a great thing about this podcast. It goes where it wants to go. Um, but, but I didn't forget that I, I did say I had two. Um, my second question is, and you can kind of look, answer it either way you want. It's, it's more of a negative. Like what is your a biggest regret? And, and, and this is in business sense, not necessarily, you know, life, <laughs> um, what's sure. your, that's um, a long or, list. <laughs> or, or what was your biggest fuck up? Like yeah. what was, like, what was the thing that you look back on? And you're like, damn, like, like why? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I do screw things up a lot, um, but I think the biggest <laughs> regret is probably an easier one for me, like to start with, in the sense that um, I wish that I would have pushed harder to push Vacasa to be a B Corp or at least a purpose-driven company in a, in a way that was like encoded in the DNA, as opposed to being a part of the culture. Because I feel like we achieved having it be part of the culture. And I think that's still there. I think it's hard, harder to see from the outside because it was never something that we like just indoctrinated and said, this is part of who we are and we will always do X, X, and X, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think because it was happening organically, it didn't feel like we needed to do it. And then it was too late. And right. so I think that's like when I'm working with entrepreneurs that have that purpose-driven sense now, I say, get it in there early and help it not make your decisions for you so that you're not then later trying to fit it in with something, you know, that's gone off in a different direction. And so that's that side. I mean, geez, what, like as far as screwing up, I have a funny one where I, I had a perfect housekeeping score for several years that I had some pride in, right? But then I, uh, I had a back-to-back -back on a, a pretty large house in the Oregon coast and, you know, where I had to I had five hours to clean. It was like it's called the stairway to heaven. And I used to talk to the owner, Marius Borgcrash, a lot. So I should give him a call. He'd get a kick out of this. Stuff. But uh, And I, I, I did a really good job, but I left a sock in one of the bunk beds somehow. I got it stuck in, like, the laundry, didn't see it. And so I got a four star on that because the guest said, oh, there was a sock in one of the bunk beds, you know, and like they obviously thought we just didn't wash it. But right. You know. Anyway, so that was my one of my mistakes. That was a, a pretty mild one in terms of consequences, you know. Um, otherwise, like in the business sense, I mean, my biggest thing is like organization. Mateo can attest to this. Like it's not my strength. And so that that would be the area 
I, I love to experiment. And sometimes I don't document as well as I should for the next person who has to deal with that. And so I'm sure that you would have more than a few people at Vacasa said, oh, I had to clean this thing up because Cliff didn't write it the right way or something like that, you know. And uh, but I, I think that kind of comes back to there's two sides to that. It's like in that standardized flexibility mindset of like you can try to get everyone to fit in your view of the world or you can adapt. But then the part I have to work really hard on is making sure when I adapt that I finish outlining that process and what needs to change and who it impacts and all that, especially as the organization gets larger, that gets harder to think about all the downstream impacts of one decision might make, you know? Yeah. Amazing. I, I thank you. I appreciate you, uh, you know, speaking, speaking up and, and, you know, letting us know what you're, uh, the positives and the negatives, what, you know, I mean, speaking of, you know, looking at where, where, you know, this, this evaluation and, and where Vacasa is today, are, are you, I know you, you wish it, you know, it might've taken a few different turns and you've been out for over three years now, but yeah. like, are you, are you still, are there's a pride there? I mean, are you? Oh, are yeah. like, <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, it's, it's something that it's just amazing to see what it's become. And I think it's, it's more positive than negative. Like I still have these feelings and I I think the, the sense in the industry sometimes is like, Oh, it's big. So it's bad. Right. But I think had Vacasa not filled this gap, I do think someone else would have. Absolutely. And I think it could have been with a lot less heart, you know? And so that's not to excuse the things that, they do they do that are not good but i think there's a lot of great people there that care deeply about doing the right thing and i think that shows in a lot of the execution so i mean i think that's the interesting thing about any large company is like there's just so many opportunities to fail the bigger you get like and especially when we we think about i used to tell a team this all the time is that we're equivalent, like as we would grow, we would have X number of people in the homes. And I'd say we had, we now have the equivalent of like the city of San Francisco staying in our homes spread out across the world. The odds all these people are, are sane and wonderful is not high. <laughs> right. You know, so there's going to be some crazy shit that's going to happen today <laughs> for sure. And like, we've got to be prepared how to handle it make sure that we, um, especially whoever takes the brunt of it that we're there for them. So it doesn't ruin their day. And most of the time, sadly, that's the housekeeper. Like the housekeepers are the ones that show up to the shit, you know, like what went wrong in that reservation or the guest shows up early and is a jerk or whatever, you know, like they get the most unpredictable situations. We had one that had a a giant pig was in a house. (laughs) (laughs) You never know what you're going to encounter as a housekeeper. You know, Giant pig, large dog, same thing, right? It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mini horse. So, who's, who's, yeah, there's, who's, who's tracking that? And there's some really sad stuff, you know? And that's like, yeah. th- those those hit me hard, but I always try to be there for the team so that, like, they knew that they didn't have to handle that on their own, like, when they uh, encounter that kind of stuff, you know? But it's it, it just gets, and I, I have more empathy, I'd say, for large companies than I did before we started Vacasa where I always felt like, well, how could they do that? Or how could they do this? And it's like, well, like individual actions, there, there's a point at which you're, you're at a certain size, there's going to be some bad individual actions, you know, and you just got to handle them the best way you can. Culture is a different thing. 
And I do yeah. think like that's where uh, any company, it doesn't matter how big you are, there's bad small companies and bad large companies. And it's always constant work to make sure that, you know, I mean, situations change and you just have to be there and be able to adapt. Awesome. Do you, uh, I, we're, we need to kind of wrap this uh, podcast yeah. up, but uh, do you have any last uh, words of wisdom, anything you'd like, you know, you're, you're, this isn't, again, this isn't your funeral. You're, you're still on <laughs> the, the, uh, the board, the rented board. You're still on the uh, VRMA board. Um, are we going to see you in, uh, in San Antonio? Yeah, no, that's that's the the goal, plan, and hope as of now. I think obviously we have uh, world events that may uh, change plans for all of us, but right. hopefully uh, things trend in a positive direction. And I'm able to. Ab, he's so wonderful. You know, I, I really miss that like culmination event, and, and they just like some of my best experiences have been at these VRMA internationals and some of the those conferences. So I'm really excited to to see everybody. Good. Well, any, uh, anything last words for us? No, thanks for the time. This is a lot of fun. You know, I, um, I will say like, I'm always willing to help people out. Um, yeah. like that are just getting started, especially is kind of my favorite just to like, it's easier to start and, and get things going on the right foot than it is to fix it later, you know? Right. So just deal with it now. And, and, uh, especially like on, in, you know, integrating a, a purpose and whether that's tying into the community or something else. And I, I, I'm seeing more and more companies do that now, which is really exciting for me personally, just to see more purpose-driven vacation rental companies. Yeah. Awesome. And I, it's been awesome having you on. I appreciate it. It's yeah. been nice catching up. It's been a little while. Oh yeah, I know, I know, I know. Mateus, your boy. You guys are hanging out. And you guys are <laughs> look. I, I miss, I, I miss Cliff. I tell everybody all the time. You know, Mickey's here in Atlanta now too, and I'm like, oh, it, Cliff's not here. He's like, oh, it's like sad. So I've always Mateo was that. like the only person I saw other than my family, like during COVID. So he, he was definitely like Mateo yeah. and I had a great, a great bond down there. So I definitely miss uh, seeing him in person down in Atlanta. But hoping to. Hoping to get well, some more face Man, soon. look, if it locks down again, I'm just coming up to Vermont to quarantine. So I'm just, if we lock down again, I'm, I'm coming up to Vermont. Right? You like, always have a place Mars to go. In the wagon. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to. That's good. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you both. It's been fun.